we'll sing the first and the last stanza there, number one. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. somebody around you there and tell them it's good to see you this morning. Good morning. Good to welcome you to our Sunday school hour. Good to see each of you this morning. Got a real pretty picture on the front of the bulletin, don't we? It's about what he looks like up there in when we were living there in Tennessee, about this time of the year, really. <clears throat> see that? How many of you got a bulletin? <laughs> How many of you are awake? All right, anybody have a birthday this past week? Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you.
right, pray for those that are sick. Um, and bring my prayer list with me over here today. And uh, But the Lord knows who they are. Just pray for those that are sick. And uh, if you have an unspoken request this morning, raise your hand. Okay, be sure to pray for our Sunday school hour throughout the, our buildings here. And pray for the Lord's blessings today. Brother Pouch, would you lead us in prayer? Amen. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Is the sound loud enough out there for you? Good. Well, we spent uh, four, four Sundays on this tongues issue, and uh, I think that's enough. <laughs> if, if you didn't get the uh, meeting I was trying to get across by this time, I guess there's, it's not going to happen. <clears throat> but today we come to another subject that's just as uh, controversial as the tongues thing, especially nowadays. Um, and we'll look at that here beginning verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. Now remember, he's, he's, uh, he's been, in addition to the thing about the tongues, the Apostle Paul has been uh, talking about the, the, uh, the fact that prophecy or prophesying, or that is preaching, proclaiming, that that's more important than anything else. So he... Uh, he has kind of laid the foundation of that. Now he, he comes to verse 33. He said, For God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now that's that's 
because of the context of the scripture here, we know that that's talking about as far as preaching, proclaiming, you know, uh, exerting authority over men. Verse 36, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you, unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues, that is, with languages, that all things be done decently and in order. This is, this is kind of, uh, uh, I said we were through with the tongue thing, but uh, I was reading in one commentary, and I, I was going to mention this in an early lesson, and it slipped my mind, but uh, they were, th this person was saying, this uh, commentator was saying that anytime you see the word tongue singular, it is speaking about this unknown thing, this gibberish if it's tongues, plural, it's, it's speaking about languages, you know, the different languages. <clears throat> and so I don't know, that might be a help to you there. So um, I think it's pretty plain when you, um, when you look at these verses here, it's pretty plain what, what the Bible is teaching about this matter of women preachers. And um, just from just from this passage alone, there's no lack of clarity with regard to what the Bible has to say about women who preach. But in spite of the clarity of Scripture, this has become a monstrous issue in our day. This thing is just uh, just seems like it's just catapulting. It's just uh, uh, you even you even have in in Baptist churches now. They're even given in uh, to this thing. One, uh, one divine statement here answers the question, what does the Bible say about women preachers in verse 35, the last part of the verse? It is a shame for a woman to speak in church. Now that's not at all unclear, is it? It's, it is a shame. I was, I was looking up this word. I always like to see what, what are, you know, what, what is the, uh, full meaning of, of, of words, of the word. And uh, I'm looking at the word shame. And uh, there's different, you know, you look in a dictionary, you'll find there's different synonyms. They'll have sometimes a list synonyms and sometimes antonyms. And, uh, but uh, different synonyms for that word shame is disgraceful, base, sordid, improper, and so, um, what it, what is saying here that it is it is not proper. It's improper for a woman to to speak to uh, preach in church. You know the uh, uh, the Bible teaches us that the very words, the very words of God, the very words of the Bible are inspired. The words, each word, and and so I think when you when you see a word here in the Bible, uh, you have to understand that that the Holy Spirit was very careful in the words that He gave for for these uh, people, various people to to write. 
And so it's no accident that that word, it is a shame or it's improper uh, for a woman uh, to preach. Now this whole, this whole section starts with that statement at the end of verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints. Now he's not talking about a, you know, just that local thing and that, or that applying just to the church at Corinth. This is a universal principle. This is it's everywhere and at all times. When, when Paul says that, he's talking about something that, uh, that, is, that is universal. And I'll show you that from some other portions of 1 Corinthians. But uh, see, the idea, those that promote this nowadays say that that was, that was just for back then. That was for the situation in the church at Corinth. But, uh, but it's obvious here that, you know, he's saying this is, this is something that's for then, it's for now, it's for the future, it's for all time and everywhere. If you go back to uh, uh, chapter 4 in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you, verse 17. I'm going to send Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. He's affirming, reaffirming here that uh, that these principles, these things that are here in this portion of Scripture, these are the same things that he's preaching in every church, teaching in every church, same expression. And what Timothy was going to bring to them concerning the believer's relationship to Christ was what Paul taught everywhere in every church. In other words, this is divine doctrine. This is the true doctrine of the gospel, and he taught it in every church, and it didn't vary from church to church. This is Paul saying that he's going to teach you, that Timothy's going to teach you about my ways in Christ, which I teach in every church, what it means to live in Christ. That's for all believers in all churches. Now, there, there's no, no lack of clarity here, is there? As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the church. They're not permitted to speak. It's a shame for a woman to speak in the sense of preaching, proclaiming. And now, in the face of that, let me read you some, uh, in, in a survey that was taken, this was back in 19, or in uh, 2017, so that was a few years ago. But it's even, war, even worse now. But in this survey conducted in 2017, about 80% of Americans, now that's non-Christian, Christian all, that's 80% of Americans are comfortable with a female pastor. 62% of practicing Christians are open to women pastors. 40% of so-called evangelicals are fine with women pastors. Now you see the word evangelical, that, uh, that, that's what the religious world calls fundamentalist, although um, evangelicals are not really fundamentalists. Um, I'm, I'm a fundamentalist. You are too. You may not know it. You may not think about it that way, but you're a fundamentalist. Uh, See, fundamental just means there's things that are fundamental to the faith. 
And uh, there's, there's some things that are fundamental in, in uh, salvation. And, if, you know, people who say, well, I'm not a fundamentalist, then what are you saying, that you're not saved? Are you saying you're not saved? You're not a fundamentalist. But that word is, is uh, kind of taking on a bad connotation because the media has given it that. Uh, they they hate fundamentalists, and so uh, they try to give it a bad a bad name. But uh, but even those that claim to be, you know, that they, they believe that the Bible is inspired word of God, forty percent of them even are fine with uh, women pastors. In uh, in in pastoral training, there's a degree, a, a graduate degree called a Master of Divinity. And uh, generally speaking, now, now what, what you'll find, it's, it's a little bit different in Bible colleges, and some people call them seminaries. It's a little bit different than it is in a secular college, but not a whole lot, but a little bit. But generally speaking, in a Bible college, a seminary, uh, to get a bachelor's degree, it takes four years. You have four years to get a bachelor's degree. Now, to get a master's degree, it takes two more years. So you got six years to get a master's. To get a doctor's, it takes two more beyond that. So it takes eight years for a doctor's degree. Now, listen to this. 50% of women enrolled in seminaries in the Doctor of Divinity course are women preparing for the ministry. That's half. Half of those that are prepared, that are going on for a master's degree in seminaries are women preparing for pastoral ministry. Listen to this. 25% of seminary faculties are women. Eleven percent of seminary presidents are women. Twenty-seven percent of pastors across this country are women. This this is an explosion. In nineteen sixty, only two percent of clergy were women. That now that's everybody. It's every you know every denomination. That's everybody. Only two percent now. Twenty-seven cent percent of pastors across the country are women. The, the women's movement has basically just erupted in the church, and the last frontier for the movement is in the, in the what they call the evangelical church, the last frontier to fall victim to the rebellion of feminism. Women, women pastors, women preachers, are the most obvious evidence of churches rebelling against the Bible, the teaching of the Bible. I can't think of anything as far-reaching and transcends all denomination as the woman's rebellion against the Word of God with regard to women preachers. Now, this, this doesn't mean you, our, our ladies here. Uh, I don't think, in, not, in none of your women, women preachers, are you? Uh, and you know, I believe that our ladies here have the right view, the Bible view of, of the place of the woman in the church and in, and in everything, every, every part of society, really. Uh, 
women, women who pastor, women who preach in a church are openly reflecting opposition to the clear command of the word of God. This is flagrant disobedience. It's been acceptable in our culture and now even acceptable in the evangelical world. I saw an article this week written, written, I was doing research, you know, about, about all this, and so I ran across an article written by a woman, and the title of it was, Have M-D-I-V, Have the Master of Divinity Will Preach. And this woman writing this article said the article is designed to answer this question. How does sexism play a role as your congregation works to embrace the pastoral leadership of women? So her, the, the crux of her argument here was that if you're not willing to embrace the pastoral leadership of women, you're, you're not biblical, you're sexist. Now, why, why is this such a far-reaching, vast rebellion against the Word of God? Well, the answer comes all the way back to Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 3. So turn back there to Genesis 3, and we'll see how it all begins. Now, all of us, we know the story. Adam and Eve created in the garden. They were created in innocence. Eve comes out from under the protection of Adam, she's out somewhere where Adam's not present. He's not there. And she had an encounter with Satan, and she is deceived. She sins. Uh, Adam, out of it, I think, because of his love for Eve, uh, he followed her lead in this, and, and he sinned. And so the whole human race, Adam as the federal head of the, uh, of the whole human race. Of course, that would be everybody that was ever born after Adam and Eve. Um, so the whole human race then was catapulted into corruption. So the Lord curses the participants in that. The serpent is cursed in chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and even chapter, uh, verse 15. The man is cursed in verses 17, 18, and 19, but the woman is cursed in verse 16. And it's very important. Now this is, this is you know, think about this as you're reading that. Uh, to the woman, to the woman he said, now this is the curse of the fall. I will greatly give the New Testament church as the office of pastor, the office of deacons, both of them forbid a woman to be in either of those offices. Why? Because, because there's, there's authority associated with those offices. And, uh, and, and, and a woman is not, you're not to have a woman preacher, you're not to have a woman deacon. So... Uh, So here uh, he's, he's saying uh, that the women to keep silent. Now he's, he's already used that twice in this chapter. Once back in verse 28 in the case of someone speaking in a tongue or language. Verse 28 says if, there, if there's no interpreter, if there's not somebody there that, that can speak that 
thing. See, here's here's in a church, and I know here you got a group. Let's just say you got a group of Chinese. Now the rest of them are all English-speaking people. I'll say English. Uh, all every all the rest of the congregation English-speaking people. Over here you got a group of Chinese. Now, if God gives uh, a person there the ability to speak to those Chinese in their language. There must also be an interpreter who can speak to the English-speaking people, tell them what, what he's saying. See that? Uh, when I was in Mexico, um, I pre probably, probably preached a dozen times there in, uh, while I was in Mexico for that week. And uh, every time I would preach, I'd have to have an interpreter speak, you know, speak Spanish uh, to those, those people. He would, he would interpret what I was, what I was saying. Uh, see, what I was saying to them, they didn't understand. It didn't make any sense. They didn't understand English. So I had to have an interpreter there to speak to them in their language. Now that's what this is talking about here in chapter 14, the matter of an interpreter. It, it, it's not talking about some gibberish because if it's gibberish, then it's an unknown, unknown language, unknown tongue, unknown. Gibberish is unknown. Nobody can interpret that. And so, so that's forbidden. And so, but here uh, in verse 28, he says, if, if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. That, now that means exactly what it says. He is not to speak. In verse 30, where you have several preachers and people render judgment on them, if, if a revelation made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. You can't have chaos with all with all kinds of people speaking at the same time. Somebody has to be silent while someone else speaks. <clears throat> so when he's saying here that women are to be silent, this is talking about silent. Being, that means they're not they're not to speak. Women are to keep silent in the church, not permitted to speak. And then in verse thirty five, the last half of the verse is actually he says it's actually shameful for a woman. To speak in church. That is with authority as a pastor. Jot down there in the margin of your Bible, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We won't take the time to go back there now. But uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's dealing with this with this thing where uh, some people has been it's talking about there, the church at Ephesus. Some people had come come into the church there, women, a bunch of women. And they were trying to usurp authority. They were trying to teach me, and they were preaching, proclaiming, and um, and so Paul deals with that, and and he and he forbids that to take place. He forbids that to happen. <clears throat> so you can read that in in conjunction with this here. And I won't take the time to go back there. Now we, it was not too long ago that we uh, were in First Timothy in our Sunday school hour and. And I dealt with that back then. <clears throat> so, so here the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit with a command from God, forbidding women everywhere and always to speak or preach 
in the church. So that's the answer to the question. Uh, does, does the Bible permit women to preach? Or does the Bible forbid women to preach? And so it's, you know, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, to answer that question. We could just close the book and go home. That's the end of the discussion. This is the Bible. This is an absolute, absolute prohibition. They are not permitted to speak in the church. Now, that doesn't mean, <clears throat> and, and that's dealt with in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> it doesn't mean the woman can't teach. Uh, a woman cannot speak to other women and children, and uh, women women uh, can teach. I mean, uh, what kind of church should we have here if, if we wouldn't have women teaching and women uh you know, teaching children and even other women and, and uh, you know, the ladies' fellowship, they, they, they have a speaker there, a woman, who's speaking to other women. That's not forbidden. What, what is forbidden is for a woman to be in a, in a place of authority, usurping authority over men. You know, you have there. There are three books in the Bible that are called pastoral epistles. That's First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Now, the reason they're called pastoral epistles is because they're they're written to pastors. And and what these what these three books are about are how you're how you're to conduct yourself in church. How you're to you know how it's to be organized. How you know how things should be run, how things should, uh, to go in a church and in the church services, and all three of those books, you'll find while it, it may not be as plain as you see it right here, but in all three of those books, written in how you're to conduct yourself in church, all three of them forbid women preachers. In, uh, in the book of, book of Titus, chapter 2 and verse 3, it says aged, aged women are mature. The word means mature. Women are to be in behavior as becometh holiness. Or, or in other words, putting that are to be reverent in their, in their behavior. Uh, now, uh, a reverent behavior would be obedience to the word of God. Would you be a reverent woman if you were a woman preacher? That, does, this, that doesn't reverence God. They're to be reverent in their behavior, not false accusers, not giving much wine, teaching what is good. See, it says there they can teach. Women can teach. They're, 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 they are, they're called to teach other women and or children teaching what is good. Verse 4, so that they may teach the young woman. The aged woman teach the young woman. So women can teach other women and they can teach children. 
and they teach they teach what is essentially good. And what is it they teach? What is what is that good that they teach? They teach young women, love your husbands, love your children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husband, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. When women are not subject to their husbands individually in a marriage, or women are not subject to their leaders in the church, the word of God is dishonored. You can't say that you're a woman preacher preaching the Bible and are at the and at the same time by virtue of that of of what you're assuming to be your role that bringing that being uh, dishonoring to God in his word. So yes, women women teach. They teach out of a life that's reverent in his behavior and it reverences uh, reverence God to the point that it obeys the word of God. Uh, they're not uh, they're not gossips. They're, they're not uh, enslaved to wine. They teach what is good, and that's what, and, and the thing that it goes on to say here that is good in that context is that they encourage one young women to, to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, uh, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, that's the great teaching responsibility of of mature women to teach younger women the necessity of the home being the priority, loving their husbands, loving children, being subject to their husband. Now, you know, when back when another thing when I was a kid, um, women didn't work outside the home. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I've, I've heard preachers preach Proverbs thirty-one about you know the about the you know the ideal wife, the woman, mother, and um, and and they you know they preach that and in, in the message they say you know women are to be keepers at home, but if you look carefully at that proverb at that particular proverb Proverbs thirty-one, you'll find out this woman that that he's talking about speaking about there is a working woman. Read it for yourself. It's a work. He's talking about a working woman. I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman working, you know, a job, as long as she can be a keeper at home at the same time. But if you have to, you have to neglect your home life, your duties, responsibilities in the home, or neglect your children. <clears throat> you know, then then I think it becomes wrong. <clears throat> If your job, ladies, is keeping you from being a keeper at home and keeping you from being uh, the, the, the right kind of mother, you know, teaching your children and all that <coughs> at home, then you need to get another job. You get a job that does not interfere <coughs> with your, your duties. Um, I always, you know, would... Janice, my, my wife, <clears throat> I always wanted her, after we had children, we were married six years before we had Gina, uh, but after we had children, after we had a, had a child, I wanted her to be at home. I didn't want her working. She had worked up till, up till that time. 
<clears throat> but I wanted her to I wanted to be there. I wanted her to be, you know, the, the, what I consider the right kind of mother and raising the children right. So uh, she didn't work. Now after I, after I started pastoring, she worked at the church and she was in the beginning, but she had to be the secretary because we couldn't, we didn't couldn't afford to pay anybody. So Janice, the entire time that we were in uh, Maryville, pastor there almost 14 years, she never drew a penny. She never drew a salary, never drew a penny. And, uh, and there was a time we had uh, operated a school for three years. She taught in the school and she never drew a penny for any of that. Uh, but I, but her, I never wanted her, what she did at church, what she's doing in the church, I never wanted that to interfere uh, with with you know her time with the children, being there when they got home from school, all those kind of things. I wanted I wanted her to be there. We always we like to. I, I was not I was not always able to be there, but I always we always like to have supper at five o'clock. Five o'clock. We wanted the family there, and you know, much of the time, even if I was doing something, if I was on visitation or something like that. I would I would still stop and go home to be home for supper with the family. I think that's very important. And uh, uh, and and if I was not able to be there, then Janice would continue that. She'd do that herself with the children. Though I think those things are very important. But uh, you know, I have I have a. Uh, about a dozen more pages of notes here about this, but I, but I think that what I want you to see is here the Bible very clearly forbids a woman to preach, to be a pastor, and yet today this has become commonplace. In fact, even I was reading that even in the Southern Baptist Convention now, there's something like 25 percent of all the pastors are women. You'd never think that a Baptist uh, would come to that. A lot of things are going on now in churches that uh, are actually anti-scriptural. They're not. They're they're not scriptural at all, and, it, and it's really. And I think, I think this is uh, one of the things because uh, men are not standing for the word of God. They're not preaching, and. and uh, and so the world, there's no no respect for churches now, for Christians now, like like they used to be, because you know, so many are just wishy-washy. You got a lot of milk toast preachers. They don't have any backbone. They won't stand stand up because they're afraid you're going to make somebody mad, and and they'll leave or or they'll cut their salary or something like that. Um, the the man of God should preach the word of God just the way it is. And not worry about what's going to happen. Heavenly Father, bless the lesson this morning. Bless the service to follow. I pray that you'll bless the music and singing, Lord, and bless the preaching. I pray that you'd help me fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the the energy and and the uh, clarity of speech that to help people to understand uh, the message this morning. I pray that. Uh, all the efforts been made all week, Lord, in, in every part of our ministry here. All the efforts would be rewarded with the salvation of lost souls. And I pray that you would uh, 
you help us to have a good spirit among our people this morning. And I pray that we'd re be receptive to your word and, and the Holy Spirit working in our lives. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll be starting our service now in a couple minutes. We invite you to stay with us.